Between the kids being home and hosting, everything in our house gets used up in summer. With Instacart, I can save money by stocking up on all my favorite summer brands. I save time by getting everything delivered in as fast as an hour. And I save myself a sink full of dirty dishes by stocking up on paper plates for the annual summer cookout. Save more on summer essentials? Spend more time enjoying summer. Add summer to cart. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders. Offer valid for a limited time. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Michigan State goes into Cameron Indoor and beats Duke 75-69. to uh, And Rod, it didn't look good at the start of this one. Um, but after about the first 10 minutes, uh, Michigan State brings in their secret weapon, Julius Marble, um, who comes on, gets a career high uh, against Duke, 12 points. Um, and then uh, Rocket Watts uh, starts going off, uh, and they beat Duke fairly handily in this. It, it winds up being a little closer than it, it actually yeah. appeared. Um, I, I, I agree with that. The The final score flattered Duke. That was a, that was a double digit win. Yeah. You know, it, and, and Izzo's gonna, Izzo's gonna, it's almost a perfect situation. I was just saying this on Spartan Mancord because MSU gets a big win on the road for whatever that's worth this year. Uh, against a big name opponent, the, the biggest name opponent, and yet Izzo still got plenty to lean into his guys about, <laughs> including the way they closed that game. You know, the way they shot free throws, the mistakes. Yeah. You know, all, all those types of things. So it's almost perfect because that's what he wants. He doesn't want them to be satisfied with the way they're playing on December first. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. that that can't happen. So you want to have the man, and you get a win out of it too. That's, <laughs> that's great. Um, I, I'm I'm going obviously Julius Marble and Malik Hall's performance in the first half, especially was incredible and and definitely contributed to MSU managing to overcome a double digit deficit i think i think the peak was they were down 11 i think and yeah. um, it was either 10 or 11 and to actually lead by 4 at the break but i would say to to my eyes probably the biggest factor in that turnaround or I shouldn't say the biggest because Michigan State just absolutely turned up its intensity all the way around. But I think a major factor was Jalen Johnson picking up his second foul. Now that, yeah, all that did is even the score because MSU lost Joey Hauser after what, like three minutes. Mm-hmm. So it's not like, oh, Duke really got put in a bind. Well, Michigan State got put in a bigger bind, but I do think what it, what it did was a couple things. It, clearly stemmed Duke's momentum 
because that's right about the point where the game started to turn. Mm-hmm. And and I think it broke their rhythm, and Michigan State gained confidence from that. And then we saw a lot of the same things we saw in that middle 20 against Notre Dame. Yeah. We saw again in this game. Active Very hands. similar. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And just all of a sudden in that – that first 10 minutes or so, Johnson was a real problem, not just as a scorer, and he really didn't score that much. I think he had, yeah, got, scored 11 points, was 4 for 11 for 4, so he was hardly a dominant scorer, but he got a, did a lot of that damage early. Mm-hmm. And I think it wasn't just that, though. It's that he he makes you defend their team differently because he's capable of going off the dribble, getting into the lane, forcing you to collapse on him, and that crew opportunities for others it also helps with their spacing and they were able to get a lot done early via penetration not even so much scoring but drawing fouls, fouls yeah, Michigan yeah. State a terrible time we mentioned Joey Hauser getting in foul trouble almost instantly and and that was you know that was a theme in the first 10 minutes Michigan State just couldn't stop fouling and you know I will say I think some of them you know, maybe you would say, hey, an official can let that go. But a lot of them were legit. Michigan State just wasn't defending very well. Mm-hmm. And that changed. And it started to change when Johnson left the game. And then when he came back at the start of the second half, it didn't really matter. Because Michigan State had, like in the Notre Dame game, just kind of flipped a switch defensively. And it was over. Mm-hmm. Duke was no longer able to live in the lane. They were no longer able to just have a steady parade going to the foul line. They ended up shooting, well, they ended up shooting 30 free throws, but 17 of them came in the first half. Yeah. So they did, Michigan State did slow the fouling down, and they definitely did a much, much better job keeping Duke out of the lane. And then you see what Duke's offense got reduced to, which was taking a lot of to be charitable, poorly selected threes and jumpers. I mean, their shot selection was miserable. I got to say this before we go any further. I watched this game, and then I think about other things I've seen from Duke in recent years, and I I begin to wonder what the hell is Kay doing? (laughs) What's he coaching? Because seriously, he's had overwhelming talent, and I think that's papered over a lot of this. Because I look at them, you know, their defense, they're back to more traditional Duke man, heavy-pressure defense. Mm. And so the defensive end, okay, give him his due. He, he, he's done okay there. But, you know, that move a few years ago where he just abdicated and decided they were going to play a 2-3 zone because they couldn't play his man defense, well, I said it at the time he did it. I said that that team, if they play that way, will not reach a Final Four, will not win a national championship. And you know what? They didn't get to the Final Four. Mm-hmm. Um, but offense, I mean – other than relying on Jalen Johnson, who's a wonderful player, to create for you, what the hell do they do? And, and the fullback, you know, spread the floor and the fullback dive to the rim, which they've been doing for several years now, and I can't stand, and I can't believe that as a country we reward that shit. But <laughs> uh, but other than that, what do they run? Yeah, There's it doesn't seem like they have set a whole lot of set plays, really. Or they action. don't, and... And that can be okay. That's not necessarily, you know, Michigan under John Beeline was as efficient an offense as you were going to find. And they didn't run many set plays or, or barely any. So that's not necessarily an indictment, but it's, 
you know, John Beeline coached his guys to be able to play in that system that then gave them some decision-making freedom. Tom Izzo does that with his guys. You know, Michigan State, contrary to a lot of popular incorrect opinion, is not always or even mostly a heavy set team. You know, he has varied his approach to his talent on offense in terms of what they run. There have been years, you know, that 15-16 team with Denzel Valentine, I don't know how many sets they ran all year with that group, you know, because he had guys that could read and react, Mm -hmm. you know. But that was not Duke today. Duke was Duke was read and hoist a bad three. (laughs) (laughs) They were... They were five for 23 from three, and they hit their last two, a banked three and a at-the-buzzer meaningless shot from Goldwire, I think it was, right? Mm-hmm. So really, they were three for 21 when it mattered from three. Um, they were just awful. And, and I think a lot of it wasn't just, oh, these guys can't. That is maybe being an element of this team that was a little suspect, but I, I just felt it was terrible shot selection. Now, I give Michigan State some credit for that because Michigan State stopped them breaking things down but off the dribble. But then my response is, okay, there are going to be teams you're going to face who are going to be able to do a better job at containing you off the dribble. What's your counter to that? Duke had none. Zero. And that's on K, I think. You know, if he, especially if he's going to insist on this one and done approach, well, it's his responsibility to get those freshmen ready. Yeah. And they didn't look ready to me. I mean, in terms of what you need to do to counter, you know, look at Michigan State's equation was a little bit different because it wasn't really systemic. The problem they had early on is Duke brought out that high, tough ball pressure and MSU just didn't handle it at all. So for MSU, it was mostly a matter of, Hey, we got to get stronger with the ball. Mm. And they did, and that solved the problem, you know, and Duke had to kind of back off a little bit. Um, but you gotta have a counter, and I just, I really do wonder if in his twilight years, there is K just kinda in cruise control, or are his assistants not as good as the guys he used to have, and he always relied on assistants for some of this stuff, and it never really I, – I don't know what the answer is. I'm not inside Duke's program, obviously, but it really does start to make you wonder when you watch something like this because mm. it was just I, – I was not impressed, and I don't just mean the results. I mean the way they went about playing offensively was very, very unimpressive, even considering they were facing what I think is going to be an elite defensive team in Michigan State. It was still unimpressive. Yeah, there was relatively no low post play whatsoever. I mean, Hurt, you know, maybe a, a few times can can take somebody off the dribble, but there was no post-ups or... Yeah, I was, I was kind of surprised to see them not try to use Johnson like that a little more, but I get, look, they know him better than I do. They may feel like they needed him where they needed him to create but he's the one guy hurt had a nice game he's the one guy you could yeah. say that about um but they don't have that vernon carry or that jaleel okafor on this roster you know we talked about it their one really true big man is mark williams who is just mm. apparently not ready for prime time because we barely saw him um they played a little bigger than they did in the first game because uh breakfield played a lot more mm-hmm. than he did in the opener but that was really the only difference we didn't see tape again we didn't see um 
the other kid, Coleman, in this game. So, and Williams had a brief cameo. I don't know how many minutes he got, but he didn't play much. Um, so, uh, yeah, you're right, though. It's There's no post game. They don't look like a particularly good three-point shooting team, especially when their shot selection's awful. So what is the no offense? And roll? There's no, I mean, nah. is, is the offense? And that's, and that's something, you know, you mentioned that Jeremy Roach, his whole rep as a recruit was he's an outstanding pick and roll guard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You didn't see much of that. And again, credit to Michigan state defensively to some extent, but is their offense basically going to be Jalen Johnson has to create everything. Otherwise we're, we're stuck in the mud and we got to hope and pray we're hitting bad shots. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> but the other thing that stuck out to me is how bad, it, other than the Goldwire, who you know, if he he had a lot of time, he wound up on um, Henry, which left Rocket Watts to. They just couldn't stay in front of him. Those freshmen, yeah, Rocket, yeah, Rocket in the second half really gave them fits with dribble penetration, and that was nice to see. That, I think, is the best I've seen Rocket Watts in that phase of the game was yeah. tonight. He was far from perfect, but overall, he had a really nice game, and that was a big component of it. I just think after those first 10 minutes, Michigan State's mentality was so good. I mean, Aaron Henry, just a, pardon my French, a fucking man tonight the way he played you can, and, and I don't know what his shooting numbers were. I'm just barely, this is really, the, okay. So seven, seven for, for 21. 21 from the floor. That's a lot of shots and that's not very efficient. Oh, for three from three, oh, for two from the line. You know what? I don't give a shit because he was emotionally and energetically the guy who was the catalyst for everything they did. Mm-hmm. He was the guy. And that's, Aaron's going to have more efficient nights. I'm not worried about seven for 21, just as I wasn't worried about four for nine the other night. I just, the fact that he took it on his shoulders, that moment where he was on the bench and he got up, was yelling at Malik that he wasn't running the play correctly, and then they ended up running it right and it led to a rocket basket. Mm-hmm. That to me was, if you want to point to a singular moment that a guy grew into his role as a captain and a leader, of this program, that was it. And I think I'm, 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 we're going to look back at it and say that was the moment Aaron Henry took ownership. Yeah. Like physically, he's been the alpha for a while. Um, but like psychologically, now he's, yeah. he, now he, I, it looks like he's there too. Yeah. I mean, and, and the way he played defense, I mean, like five wow. rebounds, five assists, three blocks, three steals. You know, yeah, I mean, the four turnovers is the one thing you don't like, but uh, look, uh, you know that and shooting numbers. You want to you want to come at him for that? Okay, I know what I saw, and what I saw was a guy who believed that he was the man on that court and played like it. And that's the thing we've always said Aaron Henry needed to do. That if his mindset was correct, everything else would follow. Well, we're seeing it. Mm-hmm. He's been really he was really good over the first two games, but I think the totality of the way he impacted things went to another level tonight. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Hauser, only 23 minutes, 11 points, 10 rebounds, fouls out, but four from, uh, four for six from the floor, two for three from three, um, and a steal. Yeah. I, I I think, um, (laughs) Joey Hauser's pretty good. Yeah. (laughs) That's, I mean, my God, he did basically all that left-handed. It seemed like, 
<laughs> left-handed and, and in basically a half. Um, I thought where I was most impressed with him tonight was his defense. I thought he was really good. You know, you, you couldn't those I, – I should say that first stretch where he got in foul trouble, I didn't think either of his were bad calls. I, it, was, it was bad defensive choices by Joey from there. But the second half, the way he defended, man, I have no concerns about him. I'm not saying he's their best defender or a lockdown guy or anything like that, but we said from the get-go, Joey Hauser needs to be functional, and then if he's functional um, – that's good enough because the other things he does are so good that they're going to impact the game. I actually thought he was better than functional tonight. I thought he was legitimately good. There was that one play where he, he Billis pointed it out where um, he was matched up against Wendell Moore, who was, you know, aggressive, was looking to drive this game. And he's got, he's got some athletic ability. Certainly, you know, it's Joey guarding a wing. Mm-hmm. And Joey played it perfectly, and and it ended up being a walk because of the way Joey played it. Just angled him off. He didn't totally stop the penetration, but he put Wendell Moore in a spot where he couldn't do damage and made him uncomfortable, and it led to a turnover. Mm-hmm. That's great. I mean, that is just great, great stuff. So like, I, I was I was really impressed by him, and it's nice for him confidence wise yeah. to see the, the two threes go down. I, nobody was worried. I wasn't at least this kid shot 40 plus percent as a freshman at Marquette. So mm-hmm. we know he can shoot, but it's nice to see him go down. And his skill set uh, in this matchup particular where they're ball hawking so much and you're constantly having to like find safety valves, his yeah. ability to like bring it up the court and then find somebody, um, you know, in the corner or whatever to kind of break through that ball pressure He's really good at that. I mean, yeah, he's tell he's me was going too, you know, but but Howard How Hauser is is really good. Joey's better. X, I think X you're right was, at that. Yeah, X was good for a big man. Obviously, a great passer, and he was good off the dribble. But Joey is more natural mm. in that area. I don't I don't have any. I don't think I'm saying anything controversial. With that, he is more natural in terms of his ability to handle, you know, to get the ball and go. And you're right, that combined with his size should make dealing with pressure much easier. I think part of what compounded MSU's issue late is that Joey fouled out. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, yeah. I, I think that made it harder because then MSU's got to go to a lineup that's really small because they want good free throw shooters on the floor. And that's fine, except it can create problems when the opposing team can also press effectively, as Duke was. With longer bodies, you know, it's Foster Lawyer or Rocket Watts in a corner. You know, really what they were trying to do, and they had some success with it, but not enough, was get the ball to Aaron Henry and let Aaron Henry go make plays. Because Aaron, with his strength and relative size at 6'5", is tougher to do that stuff too. But when you got a 6'9 guy... That's a real weapon, and and MSU will will be able to use that in late game situations. So, for as frustrating as it was um, to watch it, uh, I think we know that you know most of the time Joey Hauser is not going to be sitting on the bench in those scenarios, and it's going to be very difficult for opponents, I think, to successfully pressure MSU. I I don't you know we we won't see much of much at all of that until we get to you know, end game situations anyway. It's not like there's an expectation they'll face a team anywhere on the schedule. It's going to 
press them for 40 minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm not, I'm not worried about late game situations because you can, again, you can play Joey because he's a good shooter. So you're okay with him getting fouled. Yeah. yeah. And you know, you don't have to hide him. Um, and that's what I think they'll do. I think in those situations, they'll probably more frequently, it would be a look of Joey and then four guards, mm. you know? Um, but, uh, but yeah, um, I think he's a really, really nice addition to the team. That's putting it mildly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, he, he's going to be a, a lot of fun to watch. Uh, so Langford, not a whole lot in the, um, stat sheet. Three points, three rebounds in 29 minutes. Uh, did hit a three. Yeah. You know, Josh, I said at halftime, you know, between Josh and Gabe and, um, and, um, Joey, they had three points combined. It was on Josh's three. I'm like, they can't win mm-hmm. with that. Well, they only didn't get anything out of Gabe. They didn't get anything more out of Josh. They did get a lot out of Joey, obviously. And, uh, and that was enough, but maybe a little disappointing, but I, you know, then again, they were I, the doing big a good thing, job on the perimeter on defense. They were. And, and the big thing is, I think, you, you, what you worry about with Josh or in the past, what you worried about when he was playing was he was a guy who occasionally shot selection could get the better of him. Mm-hmm. You know, he would kind of force some stuff. So I'm okay. I didn't feel like I, I thought he passed up one shot. And, and the good thing about it is he still ended up getting a shot and hitting it on the same possession. Mm-hmm. The ball ended up coming back to him and he hit, he actually hit a tougher shot than the one he put up or passed on. But, um, they didn't end up paying for it, but that's, that's okay. If he's, if he's passing on, on, you know, good looks, that's a problem. Yeah. You want him taking them. I didn't feel he really did that. You know, you could maybe get on him for activity. I, you have, the, you may have the minutes in front of you. I don't. How 20, many minutes? 29 minutes. That's a lot. That's more than I thought. So you got to give Josh credit then for his part defensively. He doesn't stand out the way that Aaron Henry and Rocket Watts do. But the fact that he didn't stand out yeah. tells me he was better because, you know, he had a couple bad moments against Notre Dame and early. And that I don't think happened tonight. So yeah. give him credit I on mean, that and he's part of the effort. You look at Moore, uh, Moore 0 for 9, Stewart 0 for 7, Roach 2 for 4. I right. Mean, these perimeter guys just, they yep. weren't getting anything easy. I mean, the, their points came primarily from free throws. Yeah, 24 of 69 points. So better than a third came at the foul line. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, and then uh, I guess Malik Hall we should talk about. My goodness, 10 points, 10 rebounds, 2 assists. Uh, he got to the line 8 times, 6 for 8 for there. Um, missed the three-pointer, but 29 minutes in this one, only one turnover. Yeah. He was yeah, outstanding. He was perfect for this matchup. I mean, and- they needed him. You're exactly right. And I think that's important to note. You know, people may react to this and say, I'll bring up Marcus Bingham and say, well, Marcus had a terrible game. Marcus barely played. Yeah. And that was for good reason. It's because this was not a game built for Marcus Bingham. No. This was a game built for Malik Hall. And man, I haven't seen the grouping yet, but I've got to believe that three quarters of that second half were played with that post combination of Hauser and Hall. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, that was that was close to that. More than half of it, at least. 
So that's a big, big bonus. Look, we've we've been saying that there might be a reason that Michigan State needs to go that way, and it might be that Malik Hall is just too good to not play starter minutes. You know, mm-hmm. and I think he's making a case for that. I thought his first two games he was good, steady, did some nice things. Tonight he was a lot more than that. Defensively he was a rock. I thought in the second half he had some big moments against Johnson. Because with the way, you know, with the way MSU will switch occasionally, it, you know, he had responsibility for him a lot. And I think you've got to give him credit defensively. Offensively, you know, I, what can you say? I mean, two for five, it felt better than that to me. I'm not sure where he missed. Um, six for eight at the line, so decent there. And then, like you said, the ten boards, four offensive, two assists. He just worked. Mm-hmm. And and you can see, I made this comment on the at, at halftime on the on the message board. You know, you can see with him, he's gotten a little bit stronger. He's a little bit more confident. He's a little bit more composed. You add up enough of those littles, and it's a lot. Mm-hmm. And I think you know we saw down the back end of last season that he was maturing into a, you know a starter. He was a guy that Michigan State was relying on to help them win games. But this is a level up from that because it's not just about being part of the whole. It's, hey, we're going to ask you to make plays. You're going to, you're going to be expected to actually make tangible, real contributions to us winning this game beyond, beyond the intangible stuff. Mm-hmm. And, you know, what can you say? I mean, a double double for him. I think that's the first of his career. I'm going to, I feel pretty safe in saying that. Yeah. He's an absolute weapon against teams that want to play small against Michigan State. Yep. Yeah, because, exactly. Because because he can do all of those things physically, and yet he plays big. Mm-hmm. He can play yeah. big defensively, and he can play big on the boards. Yep, it, it's near perfect. Uh, have him as an option, you know, and that's that's the thing that a lot of national types, national media types, are starting to pick up on is that Michigan State has so much depth and so much versatility, and it's not that every guy can do everything. Mm-hmm. But they've got an answer for pretty much anything you want to do. So tonight, Duke goes small. Well, okay, it's not going to be a night for Marcus Bingham. We didn't see Matty Sissoko at all mm-hmm. after Rizzo was talking to the pregame about, oh, we think he's going to get some minutes. Didn't happen. Not a game for him, right? But it was a game for Malik Hall. Um, it was a game for Julius Marble, who just showed up huge. Uh, and we'll talk about him. Um, the sophomore class in general, I mean, if you take those three guys, Rocket Watts, Malik Hall, Julius Marble combined 42 points, um, 15 boards and four assists. Not bad. (laughs) Not bad for a recruiting class that I think at the time felt like a little bit of a disappointment. That's not that people were down on it, but. Rocket was a guy they targeted all along. But remember, that class, they thought they were going to get Romeo Weems. They didn't get him. Then they thought they were going to get one of Vernon Carey or Isaiah Stewart, and they didn't get either. You know, So they end up getting Julius Marble late. Um, Malik Hall, I think, is a guy that if Romeo Weems had wanted to come to Michigan State, probably doesn't end up at MSU. And But fortunately, he made his decision early enough that MSU had a chance to really turn it up with Malik, and they got him, and boy, is that turning out. So he was Julius Marble, obviously, 
the, the first half in, in particular, but even in his short stint in the second half, was sensational. And, and you and I have talked about it multiple times over last season. And even, I think, in the Notre Dame game, he had that one nice move in the post, right? Yeah. He has flashed all the things we saw in this game. The, the post moves, which are coming along nice. I mean, he look, he is an operator. He looks like he knows what he's doing. Yeah. The ability to hit a face up jumper, he did that in this game. But it was, and then running and finishing with dunks was impressive too. Yeah. Um, and, and he, he did the job defensively. I mean, it just checked every box. They don't win this game without him or Malik because with the foul trouble that Joey and Thomas were in and the fact that this, really wasn't a game for Markey. They needed both of those guys. Mm-hmm. They don't want it without them. So it was it was huge. And it gets back to that point I was just talking about a minute ago. MSU right now has enough pieces. When they are healthy, they have enough pieces that they can go any way they need to and any way you want to go. You want to go small, we can match it. You want to you throw in – I mean, look, we're going to see when they run into Purdue or in Illinois some of these – boatloads of size out there but msu's got potential answers mm-hmm. and and having julius marble have a game like this under his belt certainly helps because i think he's a guy who can potentially help you in any situation yeah especially you know, knocking versatile. guys off their spots at least i mean he's got a lot of strength yeah yeah you're not afraid to throw him out there against a legit big for a stint right Mm. but as we saw tonight he's athletic enough and mobile enough and has figured things out well enough defensively that you can trust him in a small ball game as well Mm -hmm. so it's it's a big big advantage i mean it's it's been a long time i saw i think it was graham couch from lansing state journal said something um maybe yesterday about that this is the first Michigan State team since 13-14, the year that had so many injured, everybody healthy at the end, and or except for Keith, and and ended up um, flaming out against UConn in the Elite Eight. It's the first, but that team had so much um, in terms of expectation around it, and he feels like this is the first team since that one that has an answer for everything. Yeah. They've got every component. When you look down the roster, they can, they've got a guy or multiple guys in most situations who can address any particular need that might arise. Doesn't mean you're going to go undefeated, but obviously it means that you have what you want to have, certainly going into an NCAA tournament. Mm-hmm. You know, like, okay, well, we're kind of matchup proof. Doesn't, doesn't mean you're going to win, but it means that there's not an obvious weakness that somebody can attack, you know, like even last year's team, you know, Cassius for as great as he was, we knew that he was never going to be a lockdown defender. Mm. Um, and yet they couldn't really afford to not play him. Right. It was too important. This team doesn't have that problem. Yeah. I mean, I'm looking at it now and with the way Joey Hauser's defending, I look at that starting lineup and with Rocket Watts in it, and one through five, that there's not a weakness defensively. Mm-hmm. And yet, it's a good offensive group. You're not giving up anything there. Um, you know, good good stuff. Good, good stuff. Uh, and what about uh, Foster? 15 points, five points, or uh, 15 minutes, five points, five rebounds. <laughs> well, the, the, the biggest negative is that he missed those two free throws down the stretch. Yeah, yeah. 
not like him. I mean, this kid hit like 500 in a row in high school. Um, I knew when they started talking about his percentage, they were putting the whammy on him. But, um, yeah, I, I thought it was a good game for Foster. Not a perfect game, but a good game. And, and here's here's what I mean. Um, they had a stretch the last four minutes or so of the first half where they had fought back into the game and had gotten the lead, I think, or were right on the verge of it. Maybe they were even when he came in for Rocket. And I do remember having some concerns. It's where Duke decides that they're gonna they're gonna run stuff to exploit him and get him isolated on someone and take advantage the way Notre Dame did. Mm. They tried. There was a segment where Wendell Moore was posting up and the, you know Wendell Moore is six five and strong. Foster fought his ass off. Yep. I just remember that. Yeah. worked. And somebody, it was either Aaron or Malik, came over and helped at the last minute and finished it off. But but they had time to get there because of the way Foster competed. Mm-hmm. That moment and the fact that he was not getting blown up in penetration by Duke is huge. Absolutely huge. Uh, so it's And the fact that for the most part, I thought he was pretty good against Duke's ball pressure. Mm-hmm. You know, not good enough, and that's all. That's all he's got to be. We, you know, we saw tonight. Look, this is going to be Rocket Watts' job. We know that. You know, but they need Foster to be capable of handling more than a three-minute turn in each half. Mm-hmm. I don't know what what kind of minutes do he play tonight. Uh, Fifteen. Yeah, I don't know if it needs to be quite that much. But I would say 12, something like that. He needs to be capable for this team to go where they want to get to. He needs to be capable of playing that kind of time. Mm-hmm. And and if he does, Michigan State is going to be set to go somewhere because that means you've got Rocket Watts and the other guards because there's a domino effect. Sometimes they'll play Foster and Rocket together. But it means your guards are getting enough rest, and it means you've got Foster shooting. Mm-hmm. And ability to move the ball, so those are all good things. So I was, and they, I was, they lost him a, a couple times, and he had that one in the corner three, and then the yep. other one he missed. But uh, yep, but he hit the, he hit that big one. Yep, and uh, off an offensive rebound, if I remember correctly, mm-hmm. and that was I think that tied the score. Yeah, that was yeah. right because it was a Malik call. That's where I was saying where did Malik call miss shots? Now we <laughs> got Malik call a really nice catch on a tough pass. I. Think from Rocket, it was either Rocket or Aaron. Malik makes a great catch, misses the lay-in, and then misses the follow-up. But they get the rebound, and he kicks it to Foster, and Foster drains the three. It was a really nice play. Um, but yeah, that's that's what you need. This game is an example of what you a Foster lawyer. You can't you can't grade him on well. He's got to be perfect. If he makes a mistake, something goes wrong. That's you can't play him. No bullshit. You just need him to not blow things up for you defensively. And he did that. You also need him to be able to initiate offense. He did those things well enough tonight. Yeah, I, I mean, I noticed him um, sort of fending people off with his uh, elbows and then splitting through some guys, especially toward the end yep. when they are trying to foul. Yep. I just didn't feel like that was something I saw a whole lot of. 
No, you didn't, because it, it was not his game, and he wasn't strong enough. Mm-hmm. He's gotten stronger. Yeah. It's not like he's had a total body transformation, but he's clearly stronger. That that segment we just talked about with Wendell Moore, mm-hmm. he couldn't have done that last year. No, no. He was fighting over the top of that guy and winning. You know? I mean, that's, that's huge. Mm-hmm. Well, that's about it for the the lineup. I mean, well, we didn't say anything really about Kithier just ran into foul trouble and yeah, five just didn't minutes. get on, didn't get on track. I mean, he did grab a couple boards, um, had a turnover, didn't even get a shot off. Yeah, it was just not because of foul trouble, and then obviously the way that Malik and, and Julius Marble played, um, you just didn't need to go back to him. Mm-hmm. You know, um, no big deal. Thomas will, you know, he'll he'll have his moments just like he's had already this season. I guess the other guy, you know, Gabe Brown, I was. I was kind of disappointed in. Um, I will say this. He did manage to grab three boards. So he found a way to contribute somewhat. But Mm -hmm. 0 for 4 from the floor, 0 for 3 from 3. I'm not bothered by that. It's just it's unfortunate that he wasn't able to find a way to impact this game. Now, I, I did read. I didn't notice it, but maybe I missed it. I did read. Uh, somebody note that he had a, a wrap around his leg. So perhaps he was battling something. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But it was, he just wasn't able to get into the flow of this game. Yeah. You know, and that's going to happen. I mean, that, that's the good thing about all this stuff we're talking about with Michigan State having all these answers is you're not going to be, you're not going to have very many nights where all 10 or 11 guys are clicking. Mm-hmm. So this was a night that MSU didn't get anything out of Gabe. Marky wasn't a game for him, so he really didn't do anything. Uh, Joey Hauser was sidelined for a half by fouls. That's a lot. Those are guys, particularly Gabe and Joey, that MSU counts on, and they were able to overcome it because they've got other answers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so look, uh, if we look to the keys, Rod, road, you know, I, I, you know, there, I heard a, a – Coach K talking, somebody asked him a question about the not having the Cameron crazies or whatever. And he said, you know, uh-huh. that it's actually, he thought that there being a silent arena like that, or relatively silent, at least without fans, uh-huh. um, actually got into the Duke players' heads a little bit. Like they were kind of just self absorbed with themselves. Uh, which was kind of. Uh, against, against Coppin, you mean? Yeah. Like they yeah. were getting in their own heads because they didn't have the the crowd to sort of just drown out their, well, their thought process. Man, well, uh, you know, I Michigan know. State's played two games and played pretty well. Yeah. <laughs> so, look, we we said we we talked about this in the preview, right? And we said there's there's no way to know for sure just yet, but it would be reasonable to conclude that home court advantage would not be as significant this season. Because you don't have the crowd. Yeah. Uh, I think in this game, honestly, though, I don't know. There's two different elements. There's the emotional element, which they clearly didn't have any advantage there. Mm-hmm. But then there's also the home cooking element. The fact that you're going to get usually the benefit of the doubt on calls. And I thought Duke got the benefit of the doubt on, on some calls. I don't think yeah. it, I wouldn't have expected a normal game at Cameron to go a lot differently in that regard. So you can talk about, well, the lack of the crowd sucked Duke's emotion or whatever Kay thinks about it getting, you know, the silence 
getting into his guys' heads. I, I don't know. But I don't think the flow of the game was different than I would have expected. And that's something else I'm going to be very interested in seeing this year is do we tend to have the same home row foul disparity that we're used to, mm. particularly in the Big Ten, where that's just an immutable law that that you go on the road, you are going to get called for more fouls than the home team, no matter what. Um, it's going to be interesting to see. For tonight, I thought Duke got, you know, Duke's got no complaint whistle. You know, they just don't. Um, I didn't think it was a horribly officiated game, but I didn't think it was great if you were looking for total objectivity. Um, but the but the fact of the matter is, the, the bigger thing for Michigan State is they they still had to travel. They still had to play in an unfamiliar gym where the opponent is very familiar with it, and they won. So I'm going to take that as a positive. It doesn't mean necessarily what it would in a normal season, but it's also not nothing. Yeah. You know? Uh, And then um, turnovers. Uh, 15, Uh, 15 for Michigan State, 12 for Duke. Yeah. Really about five more than you want, maybe four. Yeah. Yeah. Really, really bad in the beginning. And, you know, you talked at the outset of this about that start. And I suspect that most people listening to this and most Michigan State fans, period, looked at that first, especially like the first, I don't know, five, six minutes and thought, here we go again. Mm -hmm. Seen this movie before. Right. Where Duke applies. Not every Duke win has been like that, but a lot of them have where Duke is just applying really strong ball pressure. It was definitely the case last year, you know, where you would have thought Michigan State with with Cassius would have been equipped to handle it, but they didn't. Mm. Duke got a lot done with their ball pressure in that game. And there have been other games where that's happened, too. And the way this one started, you just thought, oh, or at least I did. And I suspect most of us probably felt the same way. Like, here we go again. But Michigan State at about the 10-minute mark, whatever led to it, whether it was just they steadied themselves, Johnson left the game and it helped with confidence, uh, whatever happened. I, maybe that play, the, the breakaway dunk by Malik Hall where he got – it was it was a flagrant foul. Um, you know, lots of different things you could point to that caused the spark. But whatever it was, they figured out how to play stronger with the ball on offense, stop coughing it up. Because not here's the thing. Duke shot miserably in this game, as we've talked about, but I, not just from three. Overall, they were terrible. Um, a lot of that having to do with Michigan State's defense. But those turnovers, I, I don't have the, the final uh, fast break, you know, transition scoring numbers uh, in front of me, but I suspect Duke ended up with an advantage, or they definitely had one of the early going, because a lot of those turnovers were leading to easy baskets for Duke. And with this Duke team, you're doing yourself a real disservice mm. if you're not forcing them to score against half-court defense, as we saw. Once they had to go in the half-court and Michigan State kind of figured out how to shut down dribble penetration, they were lost. Mm. Um, so I thought it was a really bad start, great middle, and then kind of a shaky end with the turnovers. Um, so not not great, but a three-turnover Margin, uh, th- that's not much. 
you know, fortunately Duke made their own mistakes and Michigan State contributed to a lot of them with strong defense as well. It wasn't just Duke playing dumb. I figured Duke would be sharper in that area than they were against Coppin State. It would be hard to imagine performance quite that bad. But I I suspect their coaches are probably reasonably happy with that performance. Yeah, they've been worried about turnovers. Yeah, they've said so. Like even before the Coppin State game, they've talked about it. Chris Carowell, I saw make a comment, one of their assistants make a comment about how they were worried about it. And so they've got to be reasonably happy with what they saw. But it it was not an area where, you know, like it was early in the game where they had like whatever it probably was at that point, a seven turnover margin or something, mm. where you could say, well, that's getting into an area that it could tilt the game. Uh, and then uh, transition. Well... I thought Michigan State did a lot of good things in transition in this game. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm pulling up. I'm going to see if I can get the uh, the actual fast break point numbers. Again, not that that's always rock solid. but um, <laughs> Their transition defense wasn't very good. Who, Michigan State? No, Dukes. Dukes. No, it wasn't. And and I thought I thought that was, again, something – that had been mentioned heading into this game as a potential problem area. And sure enough, I think it was. Here we go. All right. So I, I have the numbers. I apologize to folks for. All right. So MSU ended up with 19 fast break points and Duke had 20. I, but I got to tell you, in terms of particularly once MSU steadied itself and stopped giving the ball away, I thought Michigan State had a clear-cut advantage, and they got done what they wanted to get done in transition. You know, I thought Aaron Henry was really good pushing the ball. I thought Rocket was pretty good. Um, they just, they, this is what we need to see, you know. Mm-hmm. You want to see a team that's consistently pushing. And again, with Duke, you know, we didn't we didn't spend a ton of time talking about this. Maybe didn't even mention it because we weren't quite sure whether that first game was a reflection of how Duke is actually going to work with their. But now that we saw this game, I think we can make a fairly it's a fairly safe assumption that this is what their team probably is. They're not that deep. No, you know. And and so we had talked about it a lot with regards to Notre Dame. Hey, you want to run these guys because they don't have depth, and that could make a big difference over the stretch run of a close game. Well, it wasn't a particularly close game, but I think when that game mattered and was there for the winning, Notre Dame just got whipped, you know. And I think it was part of an equation with a lot of moving parts, but one part of it was that Michigan State's just deeper. And I think – they, as, as we got into that second half, I thought Michigan State did a really good job running the ball and pushing it and forcing Duke to expend energy and mental effort with a young team that matters in having to get back. And they weren't always successful at it, right? Yeah. So. Yeah. Uh, and then boards is the final one, uh, which is, uh, this is a good trend, Rod. Um, rebounding. I don't have the team rebounds, but forty six to thirty six. Here's yeah, it was it was actually forty six to forty overall. MSU though, with a, a twelve to eleven offensive re- and a big advantage in rate. Something that 
And because the season's so young, we haven't spent any time talking about it other than it was an issue last year and it's got to get shorn up, is defensive rebounding. Hmm. After kind of a semi-shaky performance against Eastern Michigan, MSU is looking much better yeah. on that end. Um, Duke's offensive rebounding rate, let me do some quick math here. So it was 11 divided by 42. Their offensive rebounding rate was only 26%. So that's pretty good. Michigan State with a 74% um, defensive rebounding number. Mm. That's that's against this opponent in particular, that's a win. Now this is not, you know, Duke's had some teams in the past that had a lot more size and maybe more high-end high athleticism. So... This this is not their best rebounding group, but there's still a lot of guys. I mean, Jalen Johnson, as we talked about, had 19 boards in the opener. You know how many he had tonight? Four. <laughs> 22 minutes. That's Michigan State doing a job. Yeah. I mean, Matthew Hurt had 13. He he played a game. But other than that, man, they didn't have anybody doing any real damage. So I think that's a clear – whereas the turnovers, I think, were – a pretty clear cut um, toss up. You know, they didn't end up in the end. They didn't really matter very much. I mean, they Duke did have an advantage, nineteen to eleven in points off turnovers. So maybe you can say, maybe I spoke too quick. Things was damaging to MSU because it made it easier for an offensively challenged Duke team mm-hmm. to score. Uh, but MSU, I think, did the job it had to do on the boards. I was I was happy with that, and especially considering again, Joey Hauser's minutes were limited. Their best rebounder didn't get to play that much, and you know, in in let's say two thirds of the normal minutes he would get, he still had ten boards. That's why Malik Hall stepping up was was such a huge factor. Mm. With him grabbing ten. You know, and then you look around the rest of the team. You got Aaron with five, Rocket with three, Langford with three. Um, Fall- Lawyer with five. How about that? Gabe with three. Marky with three. Uh, Kithier with two. Marble with two. They had a lot of guys chip in on the boards. That's everybody who played got at least two boards. So MSU did the job there. I'm, I'm happy with that. And just as a side note, how tough is Malik Hall to fall from the practically on the rim all the way down to the floor, bounce his face off the floor? Yep. And get up like nothing happened. <laughs> yeah. When I, first I, saw that, I, had something to I do. thought there would you know, just be blood everywhere. The, the only two free throws he missed were right after that out of eight. And, mm-hmm. and I think that might have been, um, attributable to him still kind of shaking that off. But yeah, you're right. Uh, pretty remarkable for him to get up off the floor because that looked bad. Yeah. When you saw it, it looked bad. Mm-hmm. And yet he never reacted. You know, he didn't don't, normally, even if guys are okay, they're going to stay down for a few seconds, you know? Yeah, he didn't, didn't even, like rub his head or anything. No, just... no. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, I mean, any any final thoughts on this one, Rod? This is a huge win. Uh, um, Just some a couple stylistic points as I'm as – I'm, Looking over the box score, uh, something that may get talked about, you know, we, MSU's assists to made field goal numbers were off the charts in the first two games. Mm. Uh, and you would kind of expect that because they played against almost entirely zones. That's going to lend itself to that. Tonight was different. Tonight, not only nine assists on 27 made field goals. Mm. Um, I think that's an anomaly 
I certainly don't take it to mean anything about this team. I still think it's a great passing team that will move the ball well. I just think the way Duke defended. Yeah, they're all about like jumping passing lanes and stuff like that. So it was MSU doing a lot more off the dribble Mm -hmm. to create. We talked about Rocket having the best game of his MSU career, I think, in that area. Aaron Henry was doing it. You saw Hauser do some of it. You know, there were a lot of guys who played that way. Um, so I don't, I, I certainly don't take it as a negative, uh, but it is something that jumps out at you in the box score. And, and not just the first two games this year, but at basically the entire Tom Izzo run. Michigan State is a team that plays in a way that they're going to have a lot of assists on made field goals. It's just part of the offense. It's not, it's not the Duke, you know, I, I'll look and see what Duke's assist numbers look like. Yeah, they had nine assists as well on 20 made field goals. Um, but that's standard for Duke, it, certainly in this more recent era where they just kind of try to spread the floor and, and go mm-hmm. and go off the dribble, you know, um, that's an approach that doesn't lead to a lot of assists. And frankly, I don't, I think it's an ugly way to play the sport. I, I'm utterly convinced of that. It's an aesthetic atrocity, but, <laughs> um, but it's effective if you've got the right guys. Yeah. And even tonight, you could say it's effective because at least in the early going, it forced Michigan, Michigan State ended up fouling them a lot and they shot and hit their free throws. And that ended up, you know, keeping them around because when they had to play five on five, it didn't go well <laughs> this game. And, and Michigan State's going to do that to a lot of people with the way they defend. I, I would, I would say this too. If you're a, if you're a Big Ten team looking at this game, you got to be worried <laughs> because yeah. this was not an A. Don't get it twisted. This was not an A-level game for Michigan State. This was – I don't know how you felt. How would you grade it? Yeah, I mean, as far as what their potential could be, yeah, I think they have even B, more. B minus? Yeah, they got an even higher ceiling to go. Oh, um, for sure. I don't yeah, think I'd say B minus. I, I would say B yeah. minus. Yeah, it, it was certainly good. You don't go into Duke any year and under any conditions and win if you played average. You got to play well. But this was not high gear. I don't think there was ever a stage where they were as good as they were for that twenty minutes against Notre Dame. No. You know, now it's a different opponent and one that creates different issues for you. But, um, you know, we know this, I think we're, we're both reasonably convinced this team has gears, plural, left to go from this. This is not, you know, this is not, hey, that's the best Michigan State. And if you're a Big Ten opponent, you know, there's that and there's the fact that I think overall, even with the turnover numbers, overall, Michigan State I can think of one year in the last decade plus, maybe, God, I'm trying to think if there's been any other year other than 15-16, the Denzel Valentine, Bryn Forbes, Matt Costello year, senior year, where Michigan State looked better. 2000-2000, Jason Richardson, sophomore year, went to the Final Four and lost to Arizona. That team looked locked in. Those are the two teams that I think – Right now, at least, it's early through three games, but right now, this Michigan State team looks 
very, very dialed in compared to where we normally see them at the time of year, right? Mm. And and when you think about the circumstances, all that's gone on with COVID, so they didn't have the normal off season, they haven't had the normal practice time, and then they had Izzo gone for two weeks. And yet this is happening. <laughs> it's it's strange, right? Yeah. It, it kind yeah, of defies expectations. None of us would have been surprised if MSU had come out this season and looked a little shaky. I wouldn't have been. Um, but it's it's not you know especially a year where you're you're replacing an all time program legend at the point and at the five, but especially Cassius, and you're trying to you don't have the obvious successor, you know where it's just oh this guy's I've been a point guard his whole life he's at this level you know no problem like, they are real questions well I don't have those questions very much anymore I've seen enough to think that they're gonna they're gonna be okay. At the point, but the, the coherency they're playing with at both ends, mm. and then as we've been saying, they got another couple gears to go. If you're Iowa, Wisconsin, Illinois, I mean, they're not focused on MSU just yet, but they know enough about what's going on, and certainly their fan bases should be concerned because, you know, I would I would say Michigan State, the only team in the Big Ten that I think has the potential to match or surpass maybe MSU's high-end ceiling is Illinois. If MSU is playing their A game, they beat Wisconsin, they beat Iowa, and everybody else. That's how it is. Okay, it's a fact. Well, that Illinois Miller is no joke either. No, and they got a lot of guys. The Sun Moon Miller, you know, and then we know about Coburn, and they can bring Georgie in as well. They got a lot of guys. And they're the one team that I look at and think, hey, they they don't have to fear MSU the same way everybody else does. Mm-hmm. If MSU plays their A game, it's possible. Now Illinois had a very tough win the other day um, against Ohio, where they probably deserved to lose, but Io bailed them out. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I've seen basically two and a half games of theirs so far this season, and they're really impressive. But they're the only ones. Everybody else in the Big Ten, if you're looking at Michigan State, you should worry yeah. because they're, they're not showing any signs that they're not getting this together. And as we've been talking about, they've got answers for everything theoretically that you would need. And and the things we worried about, how do they handle the five, how do they handle the one, are not proving to be problems thus far, you know? And then all the other stuff we talked about as strengths, the potential for defense, especially on the perimeter, the depth, um, you know, all those things, they're happening. And guess what? They're still not shooting the ball the way that they can. I mean, MSU from from two wasn't bad. They ended up um, 43% overall, which against a defensive team like Duke is not bad, only 25% from three. So that's three games where they, you know, two of them, they really haven't shot the ball well from three. You think that's going to keep up? I wouldn't. I wouldn't bet my life on that keeping up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, I, they haven't won anything yet, but man, you got to be happy with what you've seen so far. You just have to. Yep. Absolutely. Um, well, that's about it. We got Detroit coming up on Friday. Um, so we'll yeah, and we should. And we should. And we should probably mention, too, I, I don't know how many people saw it. Uh, late this afternoon, um, word got out that Western Michigan, who's the Sunday opponent, 
um, is pulling out of their game against, I think it was Purdue. They were scheduled to play because of some COVID positives. So the Sunday game for MSU is kind of up in the air. So who knows what will happen, whether MSU will just take the break, whether they'll try to do what other teams have done and find another opponent. Um, I don't know. But as you say, we've got Detroit coming up first on Friday. Yeah, well, then you turn around and go to Virginia that following Wednesday. So that's yep. already kind of a quick Yeah, game so it might not be the worst thing, right? Yeah. Play, you know, for spacing purposes. You play that game against UD on Friday, and then you have whatever, it'd be four or five days um, between that and the Virginia game. It might not be the worst thing. Uh, but we'll see what they end up doing. But I just thought I'd mention that in case it might, might have gotten lost in the shuffle because it was announced late in the afternoon um, about Western. Uh, so um, we will see. We will see what happens. On that. Yeah. All right. All right. Well, until then, uh, Michigan State moves to 3-0. and Until next time, the Final Four is not on the schedule. At Granger, we're for the ones who pay attention to every little detail. The ones who fuss, tinker, and sweat the small stuff. Because you know the tiniest thing can make the biggest difference when it comes to keeping business moving. We get it. We're the same way. Offering access to product experts to help you quickly and easily find what you need. So whatever your industry, you know you're always getting professional-grade products. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.